The old pilots playing tales, the giants of Ukraine. In the world of Slavic folk tales, there are giants in Ukraine, one of which had three heads and bore the name Balachko. Balachko was a fearsome monster, as some of his heads had weapons. One could spit fire and another freezing air. One of the giant's dastardly deeds was to capture the beautiful princess Roxanda, the bride of the local Vivo. The warlord was understandably a bit upset, and he tackled the ogre by dodging his attacks until he ran out of fire and chilly wind, whereupon he slew the monster and rescued his princess, who lived happily ever after. This was hardly the only monster to be dealt a fatal blow by brave Ukrainians, and in these awful times of war in that beautiful country, we can only hope that they prevail again. The Balachko, though, wasn't the only giant to come from Ukraine, but the story of one other starts over a hundred years ago with the birth of Oleg Antonov on the 7th of February 1906. He came from a noble family and was brought up in the village of Troitsky near Podolsk in the pre-revolution Oscar region. His background became a problem for him after the defeat of the Russian Empire, which was only a few years away, when millions suffered for their bourgeoisie upbringing. His family survived, although he was later forced to hide his lineage so that he could gain entry to the Leningrad Polytechnic University. Oleg grew up on the edge of the Volga River, in the city of Saratov, where there were few opportunities for him to learn about aviation. Nevertheless, the few magazine and newspaper articles he could find piqued his interest, and he collected them in a big scrapbook which became a sort of reference book for him that the libraries lacked. Antonov wrote later that this collection was of great use to him. With other boys of his age, he established a society of aviation fans, issuing a handwritten magazine. Mad about flying, they became regular visitors at a local military airfield where they were allowed to rummage about amongst the piles of wrecked aircraft on the airfield outskirts. It was here that he gained much of his early technical knowledge. By the age of 17, he'd become an active member of the Moscow Air Fleet Friends Society, and it was there that he first showed his talent as an aircraft designer. At that time, there was great interest in gliding, and it was seen as a way to encourage young pilots. Oleg designed and built his first aircraft, a glider called the OKA-1, the Dove. A simple machine in which the pilot sat completely exposed to the environment, it was nevertheless awarded a diploma for original design at the second all-union gliding tests in the Crimea. He was renowned for his excellent memory and his ability to recall the technical details of many of the world's aircraft. The very same year, Oleg published his first papers on the need for gliders and about paper models of simple gliders. 
A place at the Leningrad Polytechnic Institute followed, studying hydraulic aviation in the shipbuilding department. But in his spare time, Antonov continued to design gliders, the OKA-2, 3, the Standart, and the Standart-2 at the Aviation Public Assistance Organization. Then, having graduated in 1930, Oleg Antonov was given a job as head of design bureau of the glider workshops and as engineer of factory number 47 in Leningrad. A move to Moscow to participate in the establishment of the Central Design Bureau for Gliders followed, where he created gliders OKA 7, 8, 9, and the Gorod Lenia, the city of Lenin, soaring glider. His work was both prolific and skilled, and as World War II approached, he branched out into building large heavyweight towed machines that could carry armed soldiers and even tanks. During the war, Oleg was made the leading designer at the Yakovlev Design Bureau in Leningrad to build the Soviet version of the Nazi Fiesler Fi-156 Storch. A short takeoff and landing aircraft that carried only two persons, it was primarily a liaison aircraft that the Soviets called the OKA-38 Stork because of its long, ungainly legs. After Oleg was promoted to deputy chief designer, he made major contributions to the design of the lighter manoeuvrable Yak-3 fighter. By 1946, Antonov had moved to Novosibirsk to work at the head of his own aircraft design bureau. It was here that he designed one of the most successful aircraft, in longevity at least, that he would put his name to, the Antonov AN-2. Oleg once wrote that, Aviation especially reveals the relationship between engineering perfection and beauty. A long time ago, at the dawn of aeronautics, the aircraft designer Captain F. Ferber used to say, a beautiful plane flies well, an ugly one flies poorly. In process of work, the planned aircraft becomes a better shaped, graceful, harmonious creation just before our very eyes. Perhaps, for a moment, these poetic thoughts left him as he laboured over his draftsman's board because the AN-2 was an ungainly-looking aircraft, a large agricultural and utility all-metal single-engine biplane. To give you an idea of its size, it had seats for two crew and up to 14 passengers. It may not have been pretty, but it was certainly useful. It was sturdily built, so that it would withstand the rigours of operations in remote areas with rough landing strips. It had powerful pneumatic brakes, like those on big trucks, to stop on short runways, and the airlines could also adjust the tyre and shock absorber pressures. The batteries were easily accessible, and a built-in electric pump could transfer fuel from drums on the ground up into the wings for easy refuelling. It was quite easy to fly and had no declared stalling speed. Indeed, a quote from the pilot's handbook stated, 
If the engine quits in instrument conditions or at night, the pilot should pull the control column full aft and keep the wings level. The leading edge slats will snap out at about 64 kilometers per hour, about 40 miles an hour, and when the airplane slows to a forward speed of about 40 kilometers per hour, 25 miles an hour, the airplane will sink at about a parachute rate of descent until it hits the ground. To mention all the uses to which the A2 was put would take quite a while, so I'll speak fast. It served as a supply drop aircraft, including paratroopers. It could easily land behind enemy lines, delivering troops and saboteurs. Converted to an unmanned version, it became a spy plane and bomber a balloon interceptor to steal United States intelligence assets, a low-level Ekranoplan floatplane, an artillery observation aircraft. After the addition of a Mikulin AM-9 turbojet in the rear fuselage, a vertical takeoff aircraft, and a medical transport with room for six stretcher patients, six walk-in wounded and attendants. In its civilian roles, it was a fire bomber with a version that could actually scoop water in flight, a photo mapping platform, including thermal and infrared imaging. It carried equipment for measuring magnetic fields, radiation, and other instruments for prospecting, turning it into a geophysical survey aircraft for the Polish State Geophysical Survey Agency. It was a crop duster, a passenger plane, an executive transport or VIP transport with work tables, reading lights, a minibar, pantry and toilet. A polar research aircraft with an insulated cabin and heated skis, an airborne television relay station and a high altitude atmospheric meteorological research aircraft. There were versions renamed the AN-3 all the way to the AN-6, which were given more powerful engines, including turboprops, and in some cases, all composite wings or fuselages. These did high-altitude work, and one even became a flying engine testbed. The AN-2 flew for 22 air forces and many more civilian operators, and demands for the AN-2 is increasing nowadays in Western Europe and the United States, where they are prized by collectors of classic aircraft, making it an increasingly common sight at air shows. For 45 years, it held the record for the longest ever production run, which is now held by the C-130 Hercules. Well over 18,000 Antonov AN-2s have been produced, and even now, some of the plants are still receiving special orders. In 1952, the Antonov Design Bureau moved to what would become its beloved home, the city of Kiev in Ukraine. Here it saw much popularity through the 50s and 60s with a succession of successful aircraft, including the AN-12, NATO codenamed Cub, a large four-engine transport that proliferated throughout the East and West. More than 1,200 would be made. That number would be surpassed by the AN-24 Coke, which was a very successful two-engine regional airliner that only ceased production in 1979. 
The AN24 was succeeded by the more modern AN26. The last aircraft that was developed under the direct guidance of Oleg Antonov was the massive AN124 Ruslan. It was following his success with the AN-22 and Teus, called by NATO the Cock, powered by four massive turboprop driving eight contra-rotating propellers, that the Antonov factory was given the go-ahead to build this enormous aircraft. The AN-22 had been big enough, a civilian version could have carried 724 passengers, but the new Ruslan was going to dwarf it. The AN-124, NATO codenamed Condor, was destined to be a heavy military transport for the Russian Air Force, but a number were operated by various civil airlines, mainly in the role of carrying very large unusual loads. An example of which was the carriage of an Atlas V launch vehicle to Cape Canaveral and a diesel-electric locomotive from Ontario to Dublin. With a load-carrying capacity 17% greater than the C-5 Galaxy, the Ruslan remains the world's heaviest operating cargo aircraft, bar one, which I shall come on to soon. The AN-124 has a maximum takeoff weight of 402 metric tons, 886,258 pounds, which it can carry 2,300 miles, 3,700 kilometers. However, in May 1987, it set a world record flight of 12,520 miles, 20,151 kilometres, without refuelling. Other world records followed, 30 in total, including the heaviest commercial load ever carried by air, the heaviest aircraft and largest payload lifted to the greatest height. To facilitate loading, the entire nose section could pivot up, opening up the cavernous interior. Its wings stretched across a span of 240 feet, 73 metres, and its fin reached up nearly 70 feet, over 21 metres into the air. Four Progress D-18T high-bypass turbofans hang in pods from its high-set supercritical wings, and it takes a crew of six to fly it. Two pilots, two engineers, a navigator, a radio operator, and two loadmasters, and the military version can carry up to 880 fully equipped troops. Fifty-five of these monsters were built, but now only around 33 are left and many of those are in long-term storage. It was in the 1980s that the Russian military became concerned that the US space shuttle could be used for military purposes and the Russian space program geared up to produce an equivalent spacecraft. The first operational orbiter was launched, uncrewed, flew two orbits and landed safely back at the same Cosmodrome. However, it never flew again, and the programme was cancelled shortly after the breakup of the Soviet Union. Whilst the Buran project was flourishing, there was a need for an aircraft to carry the orbiter on its back, and the Antonov AN-225 was created. A modified AN-124, the Mariah 
which translates to the word dream, was built by the company that bore the name Antonov. If one considers the Ruslan a massive aircraft, the Mariya was monstrous. The fuselage of the AN-124 was extended with large plugs fore and aft of the wings, which were themselves enlarged at the root to increase the span. Two additional D-18Ts were mounted on the wings, and the main landing gear was given an additional eight wheels, some of which were steerable, to raise the total number to 32. Like its little sister, the AN-225 had a double set of nose gear that could be lowered on the ground to allow the aircraft to kneel for cargo loading. The other significant modification were the addition of twin vertical stabilizers fitted to the ends of the huge tailplane. With the ending of the Buran spacecraft program, the Mariah was put into service with Antonov Airlines as a large load cargo aircraft, and on the 11th of August 2009, the heaviest single cargo item ever sent by air freight was loaded onto the AN-225. At 53 feet 3 inches, 16.23 metres long, and 14 feet 4.27 metres wide, its consignment, a generator for a gas power plant in Armenia, along with its loading frame, weighed in at a record 189 tonnes. 417,000 pounds. And on the 11th of June 2010, the AN-225 carried the world's longest piece of air cargo, a pair of wind turbine blades 138 feet, 42.1 meters, from China to Denmark. In November 2004, the FAI entered the AN-225 into the Guinness Book of Records for its 240 world records. Oleg Antonov had laid all the foundations to build the world's most massive aircraft, but he never lived to see its creation. The list of aircraft that came from his fertile mind was long and impressive. After the collapse of the Soviet Union, his company, the Antonov Bureau, achieved global prominence after the introduction of its extra-large aircraft. Oleg had found a home in Ukraine, and in November 1965, he signed an open letter to the General Committee of the Communist Party, protesting their political repression against members of the artistic intelligentsia of Ukraine and discrimination of Ukrainian literature. As long as he lived, he strove to restore the memory of Igor Sikorsky into the history of Ukraine aviation. The aircraft designed under Antonov set many, many aviation records. He implemented some of the fundamental principles of aircraft construction, like the use of compound materials, and under his guidance, a system of automated transport plane design was created. During the 60 years of his work, he wrote around 200 treaties, four books, published dozens of articles in scientific magazines, and registered 72 invention patents. Antonov was recognized as a doctor of science, academician of the Academy of Science of the Ukraine. 
hero of the Socialist Labour and elected member of the Supreme Soviet of the USSR. Amongst his numerous awards, Antonov received the State Award of the USSR and the Lenin Award, and in 1999 he was introduced into the International Air and Space Hall of Fame at the San Diego Air and Space Museum. But perhaps his biggest legacy was the Mariah, now tragically destroyed by the Russian military during an attack on the airport that bears his name. Plane Tales is a featured segment of the Airline Pilot Guy show. You can find out about that at airlinepilotguy.com. Plane Tales is also a standalone podcast. And if you're interested in helping us out, then why not pop across to Apple Podcasts or your podcatcher of choice and leave us a lovely review. We'd be ever so grateful. Thanks very much for listening.